like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah chapter nine. I'm speaking this morning on reclaiming the land. And this passage I'm about to read is uh, an extract from a prayer, a powerful prayer that was made by the exiles who had returned to Jerusalem to, to take back the land and reclaim it for God. Here's the part of the prayer, Nehemiah 9, verses 9 through 12. You saw the misery of our ancestors in Egypt, and you heard their cries from beside the Red Sea. You displayed miraculous signs and wonders against Pharaoh, his officials, and all his people, for you knew how arrogantly they were treating our ancestors. You have a glorious reputation that has never been forgotten. You divided the sea for your people so they could walk through on dry land. Then you hurled their enemies into the depths of the sea. They sank like stones beneath the mighty waters. You led your ancestors by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night so that they could find their way. There are few things more tragic than losing ground. Losing what you had once conquered, which once was yours, which you possessed and enjoyed, then to find it's all slipped away and just not knowing how to get it all back. Many years ago, Amanda and I used to go regularly to the Isle of Wight. We lived on the coastal town of Bournemouth and were therefore included in the Isle of Wight annual youth camp. And it was all intense, run by a wonderful couple who had a very strong part of the ministry in Kensington Temple down through the years, uh, Dorothy Rammel, who recently went to be with Jesus, and her husband, Len Rammel. Len Rammel was the sergeant major of Kensington Temple. He's now in the presence of Jesus, lining the angels up. There's no doubt about that. And uh, the, the program was so intense that we only had a few minutes to slip away and actually enjoy the seaside. The camp was just above a place called Whitcliffe Bay, one of the sunniest parts of Great Britain. And when you had a chance to mend your way over the fields just to have a look over the cliff and see the sea, You'd notice each year how the erosion of the sea encroaching into those cliffs had caused catastrophe after catastrophe. Many, many people had holiday homes on the edge of the cliff. And each year there were less homes to be had as the whole house just slipped down the cliff into the sea. Just goes to show the ravages of stuff that comes and attacks what is ours. And this can happen, friends, in every area of life. Maybe it's a relationship that you once had that was warm, and now it's cold and distant. Or maybe a large sum of money which you once happily possessed, but now it's lost, gone forever. Or maybe it was your career that showed great promise in the beginning, but now it's going nowhere. Or was it a talent which was once alive and active in you? Now it's lying dormant, unused. Maybe it's a ministry 
a ministry that was once effective in your life, and now it's laid aside, it's neglected. Or maybe it's the whole of your spiritual life that once was burning with passion, and now the fires have died down and it's drab, colorless, mundane, without conviction. Or maybe it's even your faith that once was vibrant, now it's lifeless, shipwrecked. Now that was the precise sense of loss the people of Israel felt after 70 years of exclusion from their land in exile in a place called Babylon. Far away from Jerusalem, as the crow flies, 881 kilometers. And if you were to make that journey today, more likely well over a thousand kilometers. Far away from home. It might have well been a million miles away as they found themselves strangers, foreigners, excluded in Babylon. And of course, this was a part of a historical process that had begun many years before. In 586 BC, the great kingdom of Babylon had invaded, defeated, and destroyed Jerusalem with its holy temple, now left in ruins. And over the course of time, another great empire overthrew the Babylonian empire, and this Persian empire was now the superpower of the day and very much in charge. The people of God felt as helpless as ever. They had lost their joy. They had lost their song. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? That's what they said. Psalm 137 is one of the most poignant, evocative of all the Psalms as as the Psalmist records the feelings and the mood of the people during their time in exile. Beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees. For our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how can we sing the song of the Lord? while in a pagan land. That was the mood of the time. They'd lost their hope. 70 years of banishment. 70 years being brutalized by a nation, obliterated forever, so it seemed. How could they ever get back their individual distinctiveness as God's holy people? Never to see home again. They had bright beginnings. Yes, they had been rescued by the mighty power of God in the exodus from Egypt. Adopted by God in his tenderheartedness to become Israel, my son. This was the action of the one and a true and the living God who had revealed himself so powerfully. But now that was but a distant, all but forgotten memory. But then... Right out of the blue came the decree, 
538 BC, Cyrus, the new king, the head of the Persian Empire, issued a decree giving them royal authority to return and build their land, to recover what they had lost. Amazing, amazing how this king reversed the foreign policy of generations and said, I will not conduct a policy of invading a land and and deporting the people, scattering them across my kingdom. I'll reverse this policy. I will do the opposite. I'll take them back to their land so that they can look at me and say, what an amazing emperor we have. What a great liberator. Many people today conduct their warfare on that basis. We've come to liberate the land and in the name of liberation, create much atrocities. It must have been good news for the people of God. We can go back. We've been given authority, but there was an authority behind the decree of Cyrus that was all the more powerful because it was God who used Cyrus as an instrument of his will. Isn't it amazing to know? Empires come, empires go, but the Lord remains sovereign and in charge of everything. The big stuff, right down to the little details of your life, God is in control. And so, truthfully, this was not human authority that was being exercised and given to the people of God. It was divine authority. God was saying, I am giving you my authority to return to the land and to reclaim what you have lost. What a powerful word for us today. I want to let you know that I have authority today in the word and the spirit to tell you that God is granting you not just opportunity, but authority to return and take back what the enemy has taken from your life. That's the decree of the Lord. God was behind it. It was time to return, return to the land and reclaim it for God's purposes for the good of his people and for the glory of his name, it is time for you to return and regain that lost ground and pick up again God's purposes for your life. As you know, my name is Colin Dye. That's spelled D-Y-E, not (laughs) D-I-E. And every time I introduce myself, uh, I see the confusion on people's minds, so I've learned to spell my name in almost every language. Uh, for example, I would say, Colin Dye, that's D-Y-E. Or in, in French, I would say, uh, Je m'appelle Colin Dye. Uh, D-Y-E. De- oh, je vois, je vois. And so I've learned to do that. So my name is spelt D-Y-E, not D-I-E, but it's also not spelt D-I-Y. No way. There is nothing more dangerous on this planet than a former ballet dancer with a hammer in one hand and a nail in the other. As evidenced one day when I, in a fit of some kind of enthusiasm, decided I was going to DIY in our then home, a tiny little uh, apartment with upstairs and downstairs. And I was always, you know, frustrated by the creak on the top of the landing. As you go, every time like this. And so I thought, I'm going to fix it. Rolled the carpet back and saw what the problem was. A loose floorboard. 
And I thought, I'm going to nail this thing. So I got the biggest nail I could find. And I hit the nail straight through the floorboard. But I did not know underneath the floorboard, right in the middle where my nail was marked, was a pipe. (laughs) A water pipe. But I've been so solid, so effective in my action that the nail pierced right the way through the pipe. And because it was so tight, it didn't cause a massive flood. But through the night, (laughs) drip, 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 unheard and unseen till the morning when I went downstairs for a cup of tea and found the whole ceiling had caved in. You know, don't, 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 no problem because I got somebody, a real DIY person that put the ceiling back up. There was a happy ending, but never again did I go around willy-nilly with a hammer and nail. <laughs> sometimes we don't know. Sometimes what we do and the effects that it has, it may not actually appear straight away. But there is that constant drip, drip, drip of the enemy seeking subtly to infiltrate your life and to destroy all that God has for you. But the good news today is that whatever drips or floods have come into your life, you can return to the land and you can take it back in Jesus' name. In the first instance, about 50,000 people returned to the land, by no means all of the population, and they were shocked at what they saw. A city in ruins, Temple destroyed, walls broken down. And interestingly, the first thing they did when they returned to their land was rebuild the altar. What a principle. What a principle. Whatever you have lost and you want to reclaim, begin by establishing a fresh altar to the living God. Whole of your life from inside out, reconsecrated to him. And then they went on to lay a foundation for the temple to reestablish their relationship with God. They found the land filled with foreign deportees. People who previous generations had come into the vacuum sent by the then emperor to repopulate the land. A mixed multitude. People with lots of different ideas from the Assyrian Empire, from the Babylonian Empire, throughout the years of exile. And when they got back to the land, it was not the land of liberty that they expected. They were treated still as slaves. The later part of that prayer, back in Nehemiah 9, verses 36 to 37, it describes this. It says, so now today, we are slaves in the land of plenty that you gave to our ancestors for their enjoyment. We are slaves here in this good land. The lush produce of this land piles up in the hands of the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They have power over us and our livestock. We serve them at their pleasure and we are in great misery. How true it is, what you don't conquer will conquer you. What you don't overcome will overcome you. And you have a choice. Mix, let it happen, don't worry, and you will be conquered. But if you take your stand and say, I will not compromise, just as these 
returning exile said, we're not going to compromise. I cannot promise you an easy ride. Because there's a choice. On the one hand, you give in and you are overpowered. Or if you stand up and fight, you are opposed. Bitterly opposed. And the building program that they began was, was constantly interrupted by plots and threats of violence and all kinds of false propaganda, but they stood firm and said, God is with us. We will serve him. And during this time, we thank God for the ministry of the prophets. Haggai and Zechariah prophesied at this time, and, and all of their prophecies can be boiled down to this. God is with you. Put him first and you will succeed. It doesn't matter what has flooded your life. It doesn't matter how much you have lost the ground that you once had and enjoyed all the good things that God set for you and you've found one after the other. You've missed it. They've slipped away and now you're wondering what's going on. It doesn't matter how far away you've you've traveled or, or how excluded you feel. Let me tell you, if you surrender afresh to God and put him first, he will work it all out. Hallelujah for that. Now into this scene arrives two great men of God, Ezra and Nehemiah. They were commissioned by God to work together. Ezra came first and Nehemiah later joined him. They were commissioned by God to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the nation. Ezra, being a scribe, was given the commission to rebuild the spiritual walls The life of God, worship, prayer, sacrifice, obedience to God. And Nehemiah was charged with the ministry of rebuilding the physical walls and also helping structure the people of Jerusalem into a real vibrant community with God at the center. And their ministry was effective. They were called to rebuild what was lost. And what was lost above everything else was their faith in God. Their faith in God was questioned. How did God let this happen? Good question. False premise. God did not let this happen. God had not let them down. They had let God down. And they recognize this. We see it again in the heart of the prayer. Nehemiah 9, verses 30 to 31. Nehemiah 9, verses 30 to 31. In your love, you were patient with them for many years. You sent your spirit who warned them through the prophets. But still, they wouldn't listen. So once again, you allowed the peoples of the land to conquer them. But in your great mercy... You did not destroy them completely, nor abandon them forever. What a gracious and merciful God you are. Part of the reason for this prayer beginning with Israel's deliverance from Egypt was that was the defining moment of the nation. God revealed himself to Moses. And through all of those plagues and the final deliverance through the Red Sea on dry land, God was showing them who he was. He was saying, I am God, the one and only. 
You shall have no other gods before me because I am the only one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And that same God who had adopted them has not abandoned them. That was the message of the hour to restore their faith and confidence in God. The same compassion that caused God to descend into Egypt to set his people free was the same God who was behind the royal decree of Cyrus. God says, I've not forgotten you. I love you still. I'm compassionate upon you still. And if you hear my voice, you will return to the land and you will recover what was lost. That same power revealed in the plagues and the deliverances and God's protection of the people throughout the wilderness wanderings, God's power that was behind them as they conquered this land, the call of England, this good and pleasant land. Of that land, it was called something even better, a land flowing with milk and honey. Do you realize the day you became a Christian, God said, all of the land is yours. You shall possess wherever your feet will take you, wherever your heart will wander across this land. It's a good land. I've got good things for you. I'm a good God. I've got plans to bless you, not plans against you. I am for you. And if I am for you, who can be against you? This is our inheritance. They had it all, but they hardened the heart towards God. The warnings that came, little by little, bit by bit, the warnings that came, they hardened their heart and still refused the warnings till the time came when God said, enough's enough, you have so broken my covenant that I will now fling you into exile. But those days were over. God says, I am now coming back with the same compassion, the same power and the same tender-hearted provision to restore you to where you belong. That's a message for people in this house today. He is the God of restoration. He is the God of compassion. And whatever you have done to bring you to this place, God says, I am prepared, if you listen to me, to bring it all back and much more beside. Their faith was recovered. They rebuilt the altar. They finally managed to rebuild the temple. They reestablished the terms of the covenant. Ezra began what has become the prototypical teaching ministry of the man of God who reminds the people of God of the word of God so the people could build their relationship with him. That's what this meeting and every other meeting where we preach the word of God is all about. But they also reestablish prayer and sacrifice and worship and reestablish their connection with God, understanding he had never abandoned them. They were still at the center of his affection and at the heart of his plan. And as they embraced God's word, repented of their sins, so the land began to be reclaimed. Thank God for the story of reclaimed land. I've been to Singapore many times and I've got itchy feet. Uh, Supposed to be going to Hong Kong. I don't think I can go to Singapore as well. Hong Kong also has a lot of reclaimed land, but I know more about Singapore. Do you know that ever since 1822, when the project of reclaiming land on that tiny Singapore island, up to 30% of that island has been reclaimed and built upon. Amazing. And you see Singapore. How many people from Singapore here today? Oh, well, you know what I'm talking about better than I. And so if you include all that's planned, more than 30%
of the land has been reclaimed and they build it for parks and for places for people to enjoy and massive skyscraping places. You can reclaim land and you can enjoy life on it. What was important was that that first wall had to be built. That's the wall of your spiritual life. If you feel there's stuff that you've lost and you want it back, begin here. Rebuild your spiritual life. To begin with, it won't change anything about your circumstances. But oh, it'll change something on the inside of you. And into that sense of God's presence reestablished and begin to walk with him, you will find that he'll begin to take care of some of those outer things. And Nehemiah knew that it wasn't just about repairing what was lost, but preventing against future disaster. He built walls of protection. Rebuilding their spiritual life, yes, that was the first thing. Now they had to look to their defenses. The walls were walls of demarcation. And that's what the boundaries of your life mean. There's a demarcation. That which is permitted. You keep those boundaries secure and you will flourish. But if you allow those walls to be broken down, allow anything to come and go as it pleases in your heart, in your mind, you'll soon find the eroding effects of a storm-like attack upon your life. If you are solid, even if the floods come, even if the rains come, if you are solid, you will survive. But if you're not solid, even the drip, drip of the night will so bring devastation in your life that you will wonder what hits you. Like I did when I saw the ceiling. This week in Ghana on Wednesday night, a tragedy struck after two days of rain. Now, I don't, anybody who's not been to Ghana or West Africa will have no idea what I'm talking about because it rains. When it rains, it rains. Uh, here we have so many words, precipitation, moisture, all kinds of stuff, scattered showers, nothing like that in Ghana. You have either rain or not rain. And when it rains, it rains. Two days, two days of heavy rains. And the rain water had un, unforeseen effects. The rainwater began to flow into the streets and flow near a petrol station and oil that was leaking began to pile up on the surface of the water. A fire in a nearby house was started and the water now channeled the fire from the house across the surface of the water back to the petrol station and in a devastating explosion, 150 people tragically killed. Keep Ghana in your prayers. And that's what happens when we don't have the defenses to keep the floods out. But of course, Nehemiah wasn't just concerned to keep stuff out. He was concerned to let the right stuff in. So he didn't just rebuild the wall, but he reestablished the gates of Jerusalem and set gatekeepers. Because what you keep out is as important as what you allow in. That's your heart. That's your mind. That's our church. That's the way we live. That's your family life. You keep the protection, but also let the right things in. And these gates of entrance were so vital, so important. Setting the right gatekeepers to watch over your life, your friends. One of the most 
amazing things about our cell group ministry is that we share together to keep watch of other people's lives. Part of the whole thing is, listen, brother, I'll be a gatekeeper to you, and I need that. I need that. And, uh, and you be a gate, gatekeeper to me. We'll do it. I'll do it for you, and you do it for me. That's one, what it's all about. Because it's not just about looking at what you do after disaster is struck. It's about ensuring it never comes in the first place. Here is the spiritual principle for today. And I want the cell leaders to take this into the cells and work on it. To retain, you must maintain what you attain. Say it again. To retain, you must maintain what you attain. There are marvelous passages in this. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. It says, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1, So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we may drift away from it. These spiritual truths are slippery. Don't assume it because you've heard some sermons on it and you've begun to put it into practice that it'll be there forever. You have to maintain what you attain in order to retain it. Philippians 3 verses 15 to 16 After Paul talks about going on to attain great things and to break new ground and to conquer new territory, he says, don't forget to guard the territory you have already mastered. Verse 15 says, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, God will make it plain to you. But we must hold to the progress we have already made. And so what's important to keep out What's important to let in? If you let the right stuff in, you will never fall. You will never lose ground. You'll go from strength to strength. So there are a number of spiritual principles that arise out of this. Things we've learned. Listen, God is in control of your life. Don't ever think that the enemy has come in and flooded you out and you've got nowhere to turn. Don't think like that. God is in control. And the God who is able to issue a decree even through an unbelieving king, can issue a decree over your life. Your boss could do it tomorrow. Call him Cyrus, if you please. An unbelieving member of your family can pronounce it over you, and it can come from God. And you can line up with the word of God and pronounce God's favor over your life if you surrender to the conditions which... Provide for God's favor to touch you. In all restoration and reclaiming, we got to remember that God calls us to be a special people. They they'd learned their lesson. They were going back, and we're going to be people of God. We're not going to let the world influence us. They're not going to encroach upon our lives. We're going to show that we are different. We're going to show a difference in order to make a difference. Think about our nation. What would we have to do today to ensure that in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, maybe even 50 years, we can reclaim ground that we've lost to the Christian faith? It takes a generation who say, I respond to the decree of the Lord. I will live in a way that honors him, whatever the cost, and in that place of purity and holiness, and joyfulness, and sanctification, I will influence those around me. This only happens as we remain faithful to his word. Never, never neglect his word. And dependent on him in prayer. 
another whole theme that carries right the way through the united work of Ezra and Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, this whole period. You read it, read the story, you will see how the people prayed when it was utterly impossible and they knew they couldn't do it. They prayed, don't give up your persistent life of prayer. God will answer, God will respond. And so, for you today, what have you lost that God wants you to reclaim? What have you lost? Singing musicians, please. Is it your joy of worship? Do you wait for song number five before you actually engage or do you come so on fire for God that when the singers and musicians start the first song, they are met with this eruption of people just bursting with praise. We couldn't wait. This sheer love of the presence of God that you prize his presence more than anything else. There was a time when you loved nothing more than his presence and now you're more indifferent than ever. Is it diligence in God's word? Studying diligently, gaining understanding. Not just a glib read, but gaining understanding, putting the time, the effort in. In our bookshop, we have so many Bibles, study Bibles. I bought a new one recently and to refresh my studies, it's amazing what the resources there are today for you to get to grips with God's word so that you can rejoice in its promises and submit to its precepts. What about that willing heart to serve God and others? That once there was a time when there was no work too hard, no sacrifice too great for him. Is it prayer itself? Once that was a delight and you had such passion and you prayed and covered everything with prayer. Now you have a punctuation mark reference. Full stop, comma, exclamation mark. That's as far as it goes. You've lost your prayer vocabulary. Has your love grown cold? Is there some obedience lacking? Whereas once you would delight to do his will, now you resist it and argue with it. If any of these things happen, it's possibly the waters of the enemy. He tries to undermine your spiritual life, undermine your foundations, bring pollution, bring uh, an unforeseen explosion which can be explained simply by the infiltration of the enemy's influences. Jesus summarized it like this in the parable of the sower. When he saw the things that brought unfruitfulness, he said the deceitfulness of wealth, the cares of this world, that's a big one. The deceitfulness of wealth, we've seen it trap great institutions and organizations in all of the scandals that are showing in the football world at the moment. Then there are the cares of this world, the pressures, the problems. We've forgotten that Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Deceitfulness of wealth, the cares of this world, and the desire for other things. You know, I love Jesus, but you know, Jesus only. No, 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 no. And you begin to have those old desires, old appetites come back. And you think, well, it doesn't matter. I can indulge them. Dangerous, dangerous. To retain, you must maintain 
what you attain. Every head bowed, every eye closed in this service right now. The wonderful thing about Old Testament history is that you can fast forward to see how it's all fulfilled in Jesus. The temple that was built was still part of the old covenant arrangement. The final thing to be erected was that veil in the temple. The veil of separation, a wall of separation. God had its purpose. But when Jesus came, he says, there's going to be nothing that will separate me from you. The Bible teaches that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple that separated God from people was torn in two. And he's saying, the way is open through the cross that you can enter right in to a personal relationship with me by my blood. And even the walls that surrounded Jerusalem, that was a wall of separation between Israel and the nations. Now that wall has been broken down in Christ and it's not just for the Jew, but it's also for the Gentile. In fact, there is no distinction anymore. Jew and Gentile can come into the family of God. What a wonderful thing Jesus did on the cross. Now in order for you to step into what God has for you, you need to make a decision. You need to say, will I stop trusting in myself, living my life my own way? Will I accept what Jesus has done for me and put all my eggs in that one basket and say, Jesus, I put my trust in you and you alone for my life, for my future, for my eternity. That is what the Bible describes as being born again. And it can be yours today. If you say, Jesus, I recognize who you are. You are Lord. You died for me on the cross. You paid for my sins. And you raised again from the dead that I might enter into the kingdom of God by faith in you. If that's you today and you have never made that decision before, you've never made it, you've never actually taken that step. Maybe you've heard about it, but you've never taken that step. Take that step today and you can reclaim the rest of your life for God. That can be yours today. I want to pray for you. I want you to help me because I want to pray for you personally. Today, every head bowed, every eye closed. If today you're saying, I want Jesus into my life. And for the first time you're saying, I want to commit my life to Christ. Everybody praying now quietly. But this is for those people who say, I want to respond to that. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Please, right now in this place, a sacred moment. There are people here who are about to say yes to Jesus for the first time. This is what I want you to do. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand and that will be an indication that you want me to pray for you. I'm talking about people on the internet. You can, you can email in. People in the different overflow areas. There are people there to take charge of you. Here right now, if you're saying yes to Jesus, I I want to become a Christian, a real Christian. I want Christ in my life. I want you to lift your hand now, right now, right where I can see it. And I will pray for you at the end of the service. Somebody said, yes, thank you so much. Somebody else, lift your hand high. Lift your hand high. You're saying, Jesus, I need you in my life. Thank you, Father. I've seen one hand. If it's just for one person, that's important. Out there on the internet, downstairs in the lower hall, wherever you are, there are people there for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray right now for this one who's lifted their hand. 
for all others in their hearts want to say yes to Jesus. Make it real. Make it real. Somebody will come and stand with you in a moment and just share something with you. But right now, I pray for you. Bring them out of darkness into light. Make it real. In Jesus' name. Now for the rest of us. What is it today that the Holy Spirit's put his finger on and you say, you know what? I have let that slip. You know what? I I do need to get back to that stuff that I've neglected or slipped away. Maybe I didn't even notice it until today, but here it is. If that's you, I want to pray for you. If you want to regain ground that is lost to the enemy, I want you to stand to your feet right now. Anything that you've lost, you once had, it's not what it was, it's not like what it was. Stand to your feet right now. In a moment, we're going to sing, and you're going to sing this song with such power, such enthusiasm. But something must happen first. You must say, I rebuild that altar in my heart. I rebuild the altar of the Lord in my heart. I say, Father, come once again to restore. Come breathe fresh life into me. Come, let fire fall upon my altar. And from there, Lord, I promise to walk with you as you lead me in the paths of restoration. Things that I once had that I've lost, God forgive me. God grant them back. No more compromise. Spiritual renewal in the house of God today. Father, release that anointing of restoration. Reclaiming land lost. Claiming it back. Retaining what we have attained because we are maintaining our spiritual walk. Bring life. Do what only you can do. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen.